and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today, I have guest host Kennedy. Hello! And Sarah. Hi! And our very special guest, Mary Chifo. Applaud! <laughs> Mary is here today (laughs) to uh, join us to talk about Grilka and Laurel and Klingon patriarchy and (laughs) all of this fun stuff from from Deep Space Nine that helped inspire uh, her character in Discovery. And we're really looking forward to this conversation. Of course, we do typically have a little bit of housekeeping that we do at the top of the show. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. Patreon rewards range from things like thanks on social media and early releases when they're edited in time um, to watch along commentaries and bonus non-Trek content. So you can join us over at patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support the show by leaving a rating or review on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by text expander and we'll be hearing more from them a little bit later. And finally, Virtual TrekCon is coming up at the end of this week, if you're listening to this episode on its drop date. That is July 15th to 20th. And Jarrah took part in a podcaster's panel that will be airing as part of the con. And you can find out more details on their social channels or at virtualtrekcon.com. So I think that is it for our housekeeping today. So let's... Some jump into some Klingon realness. Gosh, sorry guys, I had to get out of my system. <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, Mary, that, that was amazing. Mary started it. She hit me with the kaplan. I was like, well, we're here. Let's go. Yeah. Let's yeah, go. Is, I love it. It's going to be a great one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Challenge accepted. I don't know if those of you listening are quite prepared for the sheer amount of Klingonness that's about to happen right here, right now. But I need you to grab a seat, you know, maybe some napkins, um, a glass of water. I don't know, whatever you need, but have a seat because this is about to be a wild ride. Um, so. Uh, first and foremost, Mary, once again, thank you so much for joining us. This has been lit in preparation, so I'm really hyped to see um, this conversation unfold. I'm looking at your notes here, and I'm just like, you can out like, yes, that's what I said, too. So excited. Oh, my gosh. So I just wanted to preface those of you who are perhaps not aware of the sheer, how, just, just size of the Klingon patriarchy and its influence <laughs> into the arc and, like, the overall development of the Alpha Quadrant, really. I... I Post this preface. Lorel, Grilka, Azet Bor, Kalar, and many others had to navigate male dominated species by manipulating male social norms to their advantage. How powerful and progressive would the Klingon Empire have been if influence like theirs were felt throughout the history of the culture? Were Klingon women socially and systemically excluded from these elements of cultures because of sensitive Klingon male egos? I mean, we could go there, but it also, I think, um, could stem into other realms of sociology. But but before mm-hmm. we get into that, I do have points to consider during my theory of Klingon males are fragile AF. <laughs> that's my theory and I have points before we get into this Mary did you have anything that you wanted to add to that uh, any other girls here any other women at war <laughs> <laughs> well I'm just I am I am I am just in love with you already it's yeah. so <laughs> oh my god I can't, I'm gonna die 
mother has approved you. This is glorious. Glorious, making my whole day glorious. Um, yeah, I mean, I love um, those questions you pose. And I just, uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think there's going to be a lot of great discourse because we're very much in a similar mindset of, I just really found in the research I did um, with watching episodes and reading about the culture that it's, 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 the Klingon society is a great way for us to look at how any society can ignore and suppress its women and that suffers, that the society suffers as a consequence, socially, political, so forth. Um, because prejudice in any form is the fear of the other, anything different that challenges the status quo. And I think that um, we're able to see that so clearly um, in the exploration of the Klingon Empire throughout, uh, with a focus on the on the women. Right. So I'm excited to dive in more with that. Um, I think I'll speak more specifically uh, to Lorel throughout, but that was definitely a, a huge part of her arc uh, that I was both from the writers, you know, as, as they were writing her journey on discovery. But I really found that her, you know. Real, uh, the realization that uh, she thought of herself as no one was a consequence of being a part of this patriarchal society. And she really has to push through that and break free of the, of the ideas she has about who she is because of what the Klingon patriarchy has told her to be. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and also just in Klingon culture in general, like identity is such a, a heavy thing for them. Mm -hmm. So for characters like Worf, who had to denounce his house, mm -hmm. right? Um, the house of Moog is gone, which is tragic. I feel like, cause look at what came from it mm -hmm. in Volk's case where, because he's albino, he has no house. And now Laurel, who came from two powerful houses, but they were spies, it almost behooved her to feel like she didn't belong anywhere because attachments mm -hmm. in that line of work, I imagine, oh my God, look at this little Klingon baby. Sorry, I'm watching it this week. As <laughs> we record, I'm going to kiss so cute with him little ridges and him little face. I just wonder, like, even though Klingon women are clearly taught to value the house more than themselves, it, mm -hmm. it almost feels like in Laurel's case that ended up being an advantage for her, you know, mm -hmm. um, cause being a spy would, would prevent her from really making any bonds with anybody unless it was somebody like Vogue who also shared that kind of background. Absolutely. I did. I felt that there were great seeds planted in the fourth episode, the very short, uh, title, uh, butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, <laughs> But when she says, you know, that it, it was actually, there was a very specific line that was cut where she literally said to conquer compromise. But that was definitely her philosophy in talking to Vogue about, you know, he was the one that was trying to really, like, we have to do exactly to Kuma's vision. And she's like, actually, I've found. Um, but it takes her the whole first season to realize that she can do that outside of the Klingon empire, that the compromise that she's learned to, to have within herself because of coming from two houses is something she can apply to the Federation and to humans. Um, and that comes out of her experiences, uh, particularly with Cornwell and then eventually Burnham. Um, so yeah, I think that any good leader is someone who's willing to compromise uh, appropriately, keep their integrity to a certain extent, but are able to listen and, and hear the other side. So I think she's primed, uh, as a candidate to be a good leader um, throughout the story. And it's almost like Klingon culture should have been utilizing female abilities to compromise all along. And then, you know, maybe <laughs> not 
lose so many, so much life, mm-hmm. right? Think of all the Klingon lives that were lo- lost over the, the course of their history, like, regardless of, of how you feel about gender roles. Like, look at all the lives that were lost, mm-hmm. lost in Klingon history. Like, I get it. It's a battle culture, so fight it out, sure. But... There are other ways to fight things out, and there are smarter ways to fight things out. And who knows what kind of culture this could have evolved into had they evolved. Jeez, sorry. (laughs) I love it. Evolved (laughs) into, had they included the rest of their culture. Mm -hmm. And then when you think about not only how Laurel's influence impacted her immediate circle, you also have to think about what she was dealing with internally at the time. I can't imagine sitting there and looking at my boo and realizing not only my boo, my baby dad. Okay. This is the father of my child who does not recognize me and looks completely different and knowing that she had a part of that. And like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes, I mean, I, that the whole book through line, I I have a a fun anecdote. I might've talked about it on a previous woman at warp i know i've brought the story up a few times in panels and such but i had this moment again during that episode um butcher's knife because that was when i was really starting to get to know the character and her relationship with Vogue. and there the nature of how we were filming the scenes this the moments where we started really realizing these characters had a love and a chemistry that wasn't something that was like preordained like the they didn't tell us like Hey, by the way, like Vogue and Laurel are going to fall in love and then all this sort of stuff. Like it was, it, I mean, the scenes allowed for it. It wasn't like they were like, no way, but it wasn't something that was particularly overt in the arc at that point when we were filming. But thankfully, um, Olatunde Ola Onsunami, who was our director, and then Shazad, oh, Lord, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he and I really uh, had bonded and worked a lot um, together outside of the actual being on set because we just wanted to have the lines down and we just started being like, well, it feels like there's something going on here. I was just going to say, I love that Laurel has so much emotional depth that we've never seen from a Klingon before on Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the amount of time you're on the show because Worf was on the show for how many years, but we never saw this depth from him. And I love what you put into Laurel. Oh, thank you. I'm really grateful that there was enough space within all of the grandiose, intense stuff happening that we did have these quieter moments. And yeah, I mean, that episode was such a gift because I always joke about the the dilithium processor scene, the sexiest, flirtiest scene ever. (laughs) Oh, my God. And that really was that, though we had filmed the scene where I convinced him to go over the to the Shenzhou, that was when it really started percolating. And Tunde, to his credit, I was convincing Vogue. And then he was like, I think you can make it a little flirtier. And I was like, okay. And then we had just gotten these new, in the first two episodes, I had these sausage fingers. They had, they didn't have, they hadn't made gloves for me on accident. And so I had these like generic male Klingon hands. And so I hadn't really been able to use the, I just really had no dexterity in them. So then, um, when I got these new lady fingers, <laughs> um, I just had, and our, our costumes were a little more flexible. So I really got into it. And that's when I like placed my hand on his chest at one point and like things started percolating. Hey. Yeah. 
and it was great too because the crew didn't speak Klingon, but they were all like, "What's going on?" They like, <laughs> um, but from that, that was that day after we filmed that. We also filmed the the faux betrayal scene, and I was feeling so bad uh, as Laurel for betraying Vogue, even though I knew I was going to come back. And when I got home that night, I took a like a hot shower, you know, cleaned off and all that, and then I just like started crying. Like it was just one of those because I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like this is part of her journey. Like I didn't know how much they were going to flesh it out textually, but I knew for me as an actor, I was like, oh, this is very strong. Like I clearly have a deep connection to this. Um, and unrequited love is <laughs> always fun. Um, but right. and even though it's somewhat requited, I knew it was headed at that point. We all knew Shazad was going to end up playing Tyler and, so I knew that that was very much what was next in his journey. So I was like, so it's not probably going to be that great for Laurel <laughs> if that's where he's headed. Um, but from that, I kind of was like, okay, that's where I'm going to head. And then we had the scene where I do come back. And then the final scene we filmed for that episode was the dilithium processor scene. And I think we, it was like the last day of filming that episode. And we were all just like going for it and letting that be um, so much of their journey. And, that was after that filming that episode was when I sat down with the writers and that's when I found out more of the journey that you ended up seeing on screen, the basic outline of, of the whole trying to activate uh, Vogue and stuff. But it became just this incredible through line, both when she's striving to pull out Vogue who, you know, when she really does view Tyler as a shell. And then of course the heartbreaking realization that he is more than a shell and that the power of humanity is much stronger than she had been led to believe by her society. And then the, the choice to, you know, let him exist beyond that and the guilt that she feels both to Vogue and to Tyler that kind of is there, even though she pushes through and takes a lot of stronger actions. That was always a great way for me to come back to who she was at her core. Yes. All of that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. All that, all that Klingon heartbreak. We love it. (laughs) I just, I'm thinking, I'm listening to you recount all this and I'm thinking about how much, uh, you know what, let's, let's stay on topic. Cause I don't want to fall down this rabbit hole. We got a set amount of time and we really don't need to focus on why there's so much lost potential in exploring Klingon matriarchal systems, whatever. Let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's move on. I digress. Okay. I'm sure we'll get back. Yeah. To all right. Totally. <laughs> we'll find our way. I just want to say one more thing about that. I would have loved to see what we would have gotten if earlier in the franchise, there were more women in the writing room and women uh, showrunners. Like period mm-hmm. point blank. Right. Had more yep. women, more members of the LGBTQIA community, people who mm-hmm. are, um, you know, who have different religious backgrounds, like more people in more spaces will always, always, always produce a greater outcome. Like infinite diversity and infinite combinations is a real thing for a real reason. Yes. And who knows what kind of track we would have been on had more of us been involved. But- and what Klingons would have looked like and what Klingon women would have looked like in particular. Absolutely. We're going to talk more about Laurel's relationship to, you know, other Klingon women that we have seen in the series a little bit later. But like, just on on your point, Sarah, imagine what Kalar could have been if she hadn't been fridged. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine what what Grilka could have been if we saw her continue to to rise in power Mm -hmm. in the Empire. Yeah. And there's just there there was so much potential that was sort of crowded out by this concept of honor Mm -hmm. and like i've talked about this on the the show before 
Klingon honor seems to mean it's honorable to do whatever you feel like doing and it's dishonorable to do what you don't want to do. <laughs> like it, 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 it has yeah. no through line. It's just this is honorable because I feel angry and I want to hit somebody. So hitting them is honorable. Like it doesn't. Yeah. It, it's not consistent in that way. And like there's a lot of machismo behind a lot of the Klingon culture that we have. Absolutely. And it it's suffocating. It's completely, and it facilitates more destructive behavior, i.e. Mm-hmm. if the Doros sisters had had an opportunity structurally, socially, culturally to make their own way, they would not have to be reduced to these amazing supervillains, ultimately, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, yes. you know, had to be Romulans about their way of life. Mm-hmm. If they had just been able to be like, no, you're going to come up off that land, you're going to run those pockets, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go over here, I'm going to mind my business. Like, if they had had that opportunity, we wouldn't have had to be like, ah, Duras, every time we see them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're reduced to these, like, scheming, uh, not even villains. They're almost, like, relegated to henchmen. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're women, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 <laughs> I completely agree. I mean, I... I- I was recently rewatching your Redemption Part One and Two as well, and uh, mm, uh, yeah, mm, so, so great. <laughs> um, and uh, that was really striking me. And of course, the oversexualization, which I'm sure we'll talk more about as well. And like that was something that for me also wanting to kind of find how to explore that. Um, and then we see that also in Looking for Parmach, of course the the end right. the end gag of people coming back from Klingon sex <laughs> and uh, just how so much of that was used for uh, comedic purposes and, you know, not just you, you see deep potential of exploring why they behave the way they do, but instead we're kind of seeing the how they behave the way they do and the, the kind of the more external ways in which um, they are, you know, manipulative and right exactly um having more of a Romulan way of going about things. And I felt that that's what like House Mokai had the potential to um, like pay homage to, for lack of a better term, was that like, yes, this is how women have been regarded. Like I always wondered, you know, I say this was my house and we were spies and we worked from the shadows. Um, But I always was curious about what, you know, who they were on a daily basis or what they did, they build that reputation to protect themselves and, you know, what that was and why Laurel chose to be a commander for Takuvma so that she, it was, it wasn't that she outright chose House Takuvma, but that she ended up going more in that direction when we, when we first meet her. I always found that very interesting. As far as the the boob window, right? The Klingon boob window. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like they almost had to factor that into their wardrobe so that men would be distracted, right? Men always, Mm -hmm. well, straight men always stare at cleavage, (laughs) right? So if you're like, hey, look at these real fast, shake them real quick, then they have an opportunity to advance maybe politically um, in in the Mm -hmm. hierarchy of the military system, you know. Do do the best you can with the tools you have, and I feel like that was probably mm-hmm. an opportunity for them to do though. And I, and, and I re, rewatching Parmach made me realize that Groka stopped wearing her boob window after she got her house. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. feel like, and, and Cirilla never wore a boob window. It's uh, interesting. I'm just also like looking at some of the points you had made, and I feel like that it just this is segueing at least to me into this what Laurel ends up claiming, which is, 
the mother archetype. Um, and like the, to, to me, it was so much, you know, we have the Madonna whore um, complex or dichotomy. Cause you know, women can't be complex. <laughs> no, 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 certainly not. Heaven forbid. No, no. Uh, we just, we keep it real simple. Um, but I, I, what's interesting about mother is that it kind of falls in between. It's obviously still a, a strong archetype that is, you know, definitely in many ways uh, perpetuated by the patriarchy. Um, but what I really found in Laurel's journey is like talking about the boob window in that, and Gersha Phillips, our incredible costume designer, um, who is just incredibly prolific and just amazing. Um, I get to talk for hours about her. Um, but she and I really did have conversations like she had the, had this initial idea for the copper dress where I did have the cleavage for the majority of point of light. Once I am chancellor, uh, which is obviously very different from the no boob window in the first season. Laurel was trying to be more like what we see with whether it's Duras or any of the other women um, that um, just have more of a, a, a feminine visual archetype. Um, but then the choice when she makes the mother speech that she, we actually made sure that there were two different dress options and one did also have more cleavage, but we ended up deciding on this, the black dress that was also a more conservative and covering up her boobs and just, I mean, just stunning, stunning dress and very, very Elphaba act too. I said, (laughs) (laughs) as a wicked fan, I was very thrilled. Um, but beyond it just looking cool, I, I think we really came to the conclusion that while she could not be that mother personally for herself, that it was very much like the queen Elizabeth being, becoming the virgin queen in order, you know, to, to be that for all of her community. And, and that is, you know, ultimately the, you may call me mother, that she's the mother to um, the entire empire. So it's like transmuting almost that archetype to serve her purpose, um, but still, you know, being tied to it. So it's a way to kind of keep these, this patriarchal society in line by still working with it. Um, But it's, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of archetypes, a lot of imagery that I'm still, I think, even analyzing myself. <laughs> Loads of great imagery. There's a great scene where Tyler was washing his hands off off of a battle, and then two scenes later, he's still rubbing his hands mm-hmm. as if to say, out, damn spot. I was like, has this been bad? <laughs> yeah. Come on, disco. Come on, disco. Let's get yeah. it. Yeah. I do feel in becoming... In becoming mother, she was playing to Klingon's love of opera and legend and becoming mm-hmm. transcending being Laurel and becoming the archetype. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And nice PR I, spin. Yeah, yeah. You know, she does she does know how to spin a story. <laughs> <laughs> so before we keep going, we have a couple things to share about Text Expander. We've talked about Text Expander before and how you can save snippets to make your typing faster, anything that you type regularly. Uh, You can use a a phrase or a word and have it autofill for you. But today I want to talk a little bit about how Text Expander works for groups, teams, and organizations. Uh, You can share like a team account and have messages and, and save snippets, whole paragraphs that everybody can use for common email message replies, like perhaps if you're curating blog posts, 
um, that anybody can use and just store them in Text Expander. I know that I used to have a whole notepad file on, on my computer of things I would type a whole bunch or things I need to reference a lot. They're just in Text Expander now, and I don't have to worry about it. And because Text Expander works across devices and across platforms, it works anywhere I am. It's not just saved in one place. As long as I have Text Expander downloaded and installed, I use it anywhere. You can use them anywhere you type Slack, Trello, Google Docs, email, web browsers, any place you frequently type the same things. And Text Expander for Teams makes it easy to manage and share those snippets across your entire company or organization. Uh, listeners to our show get 20% off their first year of Text Expander. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more or sign up. And if you're signing up, select Women at Warp from that drop down menu so they know we sent you. Now, back to some Klingons. Yeah, perfect timing, because of this, this heralded scene that we were talking about, this speech, this maternal declaration, if you will, just pops up on my screen. And look at the detailing. We were talking about the costume. Oh my god, this headpiece. This, the scales and the hair, I can't take it. All right, so what we were talking about earlier, this is the thing that blows my mind, right? Because we have this long-established uh, canon of women not being able to hold positions of power in the Klingon Empire. But the question is this. If Laurel continued building the Empire according to Tukufma's teachings, arguably laying down the foundation for the Klingon Empire as we know it, how? How did the Klingon society evolve to the point where women could not head their own households or even hold positions of power on the High Council? Mm-hmm. Where did we... Where did, what happened? Were men that upset... That Laurel started something so brilliant that they couldn't deny how effective it was, how beneficial it mm-hmm. was to people across all classes. Because let's not forget, there's more elements to Klingon culture than just this warrior class. There are scholars, there mm-hmm. are politicians, mm-hmm. there are there has to be somebody who's who's developing agriculture, who's a technologist, right? Not everybody's fighting. So obviously, if someone's coming up with the method of government together a way of, of governing oneself that can make everybody's lives a little bit easier why wouldn't you just accept it is because she's got breasts like bro get over yourself get over yourself like come on dog you like, need to be laurel's pr person <laughs> i need to be laurel's anger translator i'll do that <laughs> yeah, oh my god i'll do that oh yes i make a hell of a klingon uh, let's go <laughs> yes yes that that is for sure that is i there's no doubt i love um yes the passion the fire for the empire <laughs> i mean i assume they didn't give you additional ideas of like how Laurel's story continued mm-hmm. after after season two of discovery but historically we know that systems of government have changed after like overthrows and coups and like yeah you know, one can imagine that that is something that happens to Laurel at some point and yes. whoever takes over you know tries to create a system of of governance that doesn't allow for for anyone like her to come to power again which is yeah. super unfortunate i definitely see some klingon dude kicking in some door somewhere and be like nah take all this down get these pillows out of here get this comfort <laughs> out of here was that a flower get it out of here anything that breathes <laughs> set it on fire klingon misogynistic backlash. good job bro way to set us back for sure 
the thing I was just not expecting to happen <laughs> in my brain as I was saying that was I was thinking about The Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is Gilead. Crap. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know that it, the, the more I would dive in either from past episodes or just looking at the world and obviously they really went for it with Point of Light that like it's there. Like it's it's not a fabrication. I mean, you even just look at the High Council looking at the... T- Two episodes um, that feature Groka. Like anytime you're in the High Council chamber, it's a lot of men <laughs> like that are are conducting business. And obviously, as as we'll talk about with with Groka overall, that just the 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 mere fact that she can't just be like, oh, my husband died. Well, I'll just succeed the house. Like <laughs> the fact that it's not that easy of a um a switch. But one thing I did want to say specifically about yeah, like what happened. Uh, the only information outside of the show, I know there's the aftermath series, the um, comic series of three three different um, volumes of that, where they do have Laurel interacting with Spock and Pike kind of right after the events of the season two finale. So I know that there's some politics going on there, but I know that it did not um, answer all of those questions for sure about why she is not talked about later. Yeah, I have a theory, and I don't even need this theory to be proven correct, right? (laughs) I have a theory that the reason why Discovery is, like, and everything that happens to Discovery is never mentioned um, in canon, and obviously because of, you know, real-life reasons, but, you know, like, for, for canonical reasons, is because this crew, this ship, and everybody surrounding it probably went up against some insurmountable odds and didn't make it mm-hmm. like it's like it's like it's a tragedy it's an overall dazzling beautifully written casted designed tragedy that the federation is just like yeah we just don't talk about this anymore don't talk about it you might get like a sub chapter of it in the academy like, yeah freshman year, you know <laughs> what i mean um because because like you say when when the regime changes things get burnt down. The history is written by the victor. And I just got a, a, a real sinking feeling that we're all in love with the show and it's going to be like, well, <laughs> when, it's, when it's done. And I, I just, yeah. Oof, perish the thought. Yeah. No, it, I, I think that, you know, with, yeah, with stories like these, we have the opportunity to illuminate what happens in our own history. And um, that there are, yeah, exactly. There are so many tragic stories throughout history um, often pertaining to female leaders. And one that I thought about when it came to, I had always had this theory. I think even, I guess once I knew that Laurel was going to be the leader. So I found that out, you know, near the end of the first season. But even so, as a character overall, I was always wondering like, well, why isn't she known in, you know, why isn't she referenced later outside of the the li- the literal technical reasons that we know to be right, true. Right, the real life reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. But like the fun prequel <laughs> sort of questions. And I always thought of Hapchetsut, who was a female pharaoh, who... Whoa, 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 Mary. Whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, what do you know about Hatshepsut? One. Two. Uh, holy crap, what do you know about Hatshepsut? Please tell these people. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know about Hatshepsut... Mary Chafo. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> now I'm like, oh, um, well, the, the thing, there's so many interesting aspects um, to her rule. One was that I, you know, that she ended up uh, differently from Laurel, ended up really um, assuming the, the, the male archetype. Like she really 
as uh, to my knowledge. I also read an article that was kind of like, what you know about Hapchetsu is all wrong. And I was like, no, don't tell me that. Um, but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that she really assumed um, the male imagery of, of, of being a pharaoh and that she became the pharaoh because she because it was like a technicality sort of thing kind of a la Grilka, like that her it was her son was too young right. and um I, I remember reading an article about how then after her death um that it was they don't know exactly who it was but it was some sort of resentful male that destroyed all of her images um and kind of tried to wipe her from history. Not fully successfully. Um, right. But that was something that I always thought about. Whether how, how much of that is true, you know, I'm not sure. But just that idea of what I think we, we don't even know how often that has happened because we don't have, we don't know the history because the history hasn't been uh, written down or articulated or preserved. Um, but unfortunately, I think there are a lot of great leaders um, that are not as heralded because of the history politics. Right, exactly. Fun fact, Hatshepsut appeared in the Pharaoh's beard in public. Ah, oh, yeah. That, yeah, that was the thing that, like, scandalized. Mm. If, there was, if anything could scandalize Egypt, that was it. <laughs> it was the fact that she wasn't um, appearing as queen of Egypt, which a number of powerful women had done before her. Um, she was like, no, I'm Pharaoh, mm-hmm. run my beard too. Mm-hmm. And they were like, what? So she, you know, ch- challenged gender norms and all that stuff mm-hmm. back then um, in the way that, that Grilka really did a good job of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Grilka's, one of my favorite things watching her arc was the fact that she, wa- you could tell she wanted to do it by herself. She was very impulsive, like, hey, this is going to work. Who killed him? This dude, guess what? He's my husband now. Now where's where's my stuff? Where's yeah. my land? I didn't think about any of the impulsive things that go along with it because she knew what she wanted and she went after it. Mm-hmm. And seeing her, you know, navigate Quark <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in such a great way, I'm going to let you take your hand off my thigh before I beat your ass. <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. <laughs> the thing I love so much about Grilka and like where I see her relate to to Laurel so much in terms mm-hmm. of characterization is that she is so smart and she knows the system yeah. that she is in so mm-hmm. well that mm-hmm. she knows how to manipulate what's already there to get what she wants. Yes, totally. The the Bechtel ritual, right? Yeah. That that whole that she was like, nope, I already did it. Like you tried to outsmart me, buddy boy, but actually I took that and I used it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just, Look at my notes. Yeah. <laughs> you thought I didn't have a file on you? I have a whole file. Here it is. <laughs> By the way, tell your mom I said hi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I love the fact that Grilka was everything that Grilka meant. The, the most impactful thing about Grilka was that she not only figured out how to navigate male spaces like we like we discussed, but she also did it while maintaining that archetype of quote unquote Klingon femininity. Right? She wasn't battle worn, yeah. right? So she was polished, she was poised, she was graceful. I mean, Worf, who hates everybody and everything, was like, damn, girl. Yeah. <laughs> who is that, though? <laughs> Who's that, though? No, no, mm. who is that? <laughs> um, and I, I think it's great that you, you utilized her as um, inspiration 
Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us more about that. Yeah. Well, I, I did do a full canon watch of all Klingon centric episodes once, once I was cast and, you know, I didn't have a script or anything and, you know, you, they, you don't have any information for a very long time. So I was just like, I will do research and I will watch things. Nice. Uh, and uh, can I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just love that that was such a common thing among your cast. Because yeah. <laughs> like you, you talk to some of the cast from the nineties and they're like, I never watched Star Trek before or whatever. <laughs> I got a job. That's great. And then yeah. y'all were just like, yeah. I am going in. <laughs> it's and true. I um, yeah, me too. I I am so appreciative of of that um, that that we celebrate our passion and our geekdom, and uh, it, I think it's that ch- like chicken or the egg. Like I think we were all people that were primed to do that, and then once we realized that the rest of the cast was that way, we were like, oh great, <laughs> let's keep going. Um, one of us, one of <laughs> exactly. Us. It really uh, definitely and and you know once the casting announcement was made, that was like maybe two months after I had actually been cast, I think. Yeah. Um, And then to have that just on Twitter alone, starting to have that welcome from fans just (laughs) by the fact that I was going to be a Klingon that nobody knew to what extent or in any way. And so that also fueled my fire as I was, you know, I was starting to watch all these episodes. So it just, you know, to realize that that uh, community was so strong, um, motivated me to keep going but yeah so I was watching all the Klingon centric episodes and I went chronologically timeline wise so um I you know I had seen various episodes in the past from various shows but this was like I just wanted to go chronologically so I got to the bulk of Deep Space Nine which obviously there's that's where we get a huge bulk of the Klingon um history and uh that was right around the time we were starting rehearsals that January, uh, 2017 before we started, um, uh, doing the whole thing. And, uh, so I, I vividly remember being up in Toronto and being in the thick of Deep Space Nine and I got really caught up in all of Deep Space Nine. So I kind of watched all the episodes, even ones that didn't feature Klingons. But I remember when... Because Deep Space Nine. Yes, precisely. It's so funny because actually um, after I was watching Parmach, uh, I, uh, you know, it starts to play the next episode and I was like, oh, well, you know, like, and then I just like started getting sucked in. And that was, I believe that was, yeah, that's the episode with, um, um, oh my gosh, why can't I think of it? Um, uh, Cisco's son. Why has his name slipped my mind? Jake. Jake. Yeah, <laughs> the simplest name in all of Star Trek. Uh, but Jake going down and really seeing the realities of warfare and like I just think that the show really illuminates a lot of great stuff about that. But anyway, Klingons, Groka. Um, but mm-hmm. when I got uh, to Groka's episode, uh, it was right around the time we were really starting um, to film and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a real patriarchy. Like that had been clear in the episodes I had seen prior, but just that her story, it was so clear that um, that was what was preventing her from, from claiming this, this, this house that was rightfully hers. Like, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, how can this powerful, amazing woman who also that entrance, I forgot because I hadn't watched the episode in a while, like with the hood and the, it's just yeah. great. 
Well done. Um, <laughs> if nothing else, Klingon women know how to make an entrance. Totally. When Cirilla mm-hmm. stepped off of that shuttle onto Deep Space Nine, I about pooped myself too. I said, yeah, okay, yeah. is yeah. this what we're doing today, ladies? I said, okay. Yep. It's very true. We, we know how to make our entrances. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but that was what really stuck with me, particularly with that, with that first episode, House of Quark, that um, to see her be... You know, she's just there and, and she's glorious. Yeah. And, and Mary Kay Adams, who p- plays her, does just such a brilliant job of, yeah, having that. She has a lot, I feel, going on underneath. She has that femininity and that sensitivity, but also just like goes for it. And I remember reading an interview with her. Talking oh my gosh, about, I was about how, to say the same thing. Yeah, you go first. You go first. You well, go first. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, just yeah, how liberated she felt in that the confines of you know the type of roles that she normally had to play were just completely gone, and she was able to just be her full self. <laughs> yeah, she said that uh, so much of her career was spent like having to dial down and and really emote more than express mm. in her performances, and she said oh, for the first time she finally got a chance to not worry about what her face looked like as she was speaking. I was like, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, those are the things that, that I think that men fail to realize is that those are extra little micro pressures that yes. are placed on us, no matter Klingon or human, apparently. Yeah. Um, and this, and, and just, you know, existing in these spaces, like they don't have to think about how much space they take up when they sit next to somebody. They don't have to think about, you know, if, if I, if my mouth is, is, moving in a way that is not aggressive or whatever, yeah. just easier for you to digest so that you can just listen to what it's saying rather than what it looks like as it's saying it. Like, come on. Um, mm-hmm. And I just really appreciated her, her input on that. Yeah. I, and I agree. And, and having then had the experience with Laurel, I, I definitely found that to be true. Um, and I'd, something I now say is yes, let's, okay. That's so great that as a Klingon, as an alien, I was able to be my full self. Now let's just make sure that that can be true for, for human female characters as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you raised a cool point in your notes here. Mm-hmm. Um, Groka was such a strong presence from the door, right? How did she get reduced? I mean, we mm-hmm. know why, right? Cause it was yeah. to facilitate, Worf and yeah. Wadzia, Wadzia yeah. as I call it. Um, or Jorf, because Jorf isn't as fun. It's just, you know. Not just wax. Wax! Wax! <laughs> oh my god, they're all good. They're all good. <laughs> See, wax, I feel like, would encompass Esri, too, and we both know that didn't happen the way right, you, know, no. you know. Not- so, <laughs> wax is dope. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, Groka came back to, yeah. to serve as um, you know, a, a turning point for, for Wadzia. Yeah. But they could have, you know, conceivably Oh no, I guess not. No. They had to pick somebody who was super, super strong, um, and had already been established as uh, a strong influence mm-hmm. to get Worf over his own BS and realize that Jadzia was ultimately Bay, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if they would have been able to build that type of background and establish the influence necessary in the show to, to make that as impactful. So it sucks that yeah. Groka was the one that they had to bring back and do that to. Um, but yeah. I definitely see your point about why did she get reduced to a love interest? How yeah. didn't she, she just got out of a toxic relationship. Yeah. <laughs> why would you put her back into this? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think uh, part of the, this um, idea of the, the, the strong female lead, I read a, a great article. I mean this, oh my gosh, 
maybe like 10 years ago now. Wow. When did Edge of Tomorrow come out? About 10 years ago, I guess. Um, but they were talking about Emily Blunt's character and how she was a successful, strong female character in many ways, but still the fact that um, the protagonist was Tom Cruise. And so at the end of the day, he's the one that has to make the final hero's journey. Um, and so it's not so much that, you know, the, the excuse can be made. If you keep making your protagonists men, then of course the women who are just as strong or like, you know, a great second lead, they still don't get to make the full journey that the, the male protagonist does as a consequence of good storytelling. And that was something I actually brought up early on when we were starting to promote Discovery um, in an interview. It was very exciting for me. It was like TV Guide or something. And I talked about this and they like used the clip and I was like, ha ha. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but about how the, the, the beauty of having Burnham as our lead is that she is the protagonist. And so the story revolves around her. And so I'm grateful to be a part of that narrative. And Laurel did get to have a lot of her own hero's journey within her own Klingon world, even though it was not the, it is not the story of discovery, but the gift of having a black female lead is that all roads point to her that at the end of the day, it's her journey. And so that her character does not get diminished in the way that we've often seen strong female characters in the past get diminished Um, and, or not even diminished or just stay the same that they have this amazing intro, like they're in the hood or whatever it is, and we're like, whoa, whoa, they're so cool. But then they have to be more in service to the protagonist um, for the storytelling. So that just was brought up again to me as I was watching the two episodes that I, storytelling-wise, completely agree that it needed to serve the Worf Dax and as someone who loves Dax, that you know, like she's pretty awesome and she gets, gets to do so many cool Klingon things. So that's super great. The all roads pointing to her part, you have me in tears. Oh <laughs> well, I I'm I'm glad. <laughs> right. I mean, the other beautiful part about Burnham is that you get to, and and this stands mm-hmm. to your point, right? Strong people think that a strong female lead, a strong female character, is just someone who's a badass, right? Someone who can fight all the fights and win all the wars and survive, right? It does not leave room for these characters to have depth, to have layers, to have Mm -hmm. complexity, to possess uh, polarizing points of view at the same Mm -hmm. time, right? Burnham is a criminal. I think that, you know, they threw the book at Sis a little hard. I think that was a little reckless. I don't think she should have been court-martialed and imprisoned for her whole life especially considering the fact that she wasn't wrong. Yes, she w- she disobeyed orders and does deserve reprimand for that. Sure. Yes. But don't sit here and tell me that she... Never mind. Let me, let me fall back because that's a whole... I hear you. <laughs> it also brings us back to this question of like, what what is strong? Because strong doesn't have to mean just kick-ass. Strong doesn't have right. to mean going into battle. Strong can mean, you know, losing a child and continuing on like yeah. Troy. Strong can right. mean being a single mom, like Crusher. Strong mm-hmm. can mean, like, deciding that you are leaving your career to go look for someone that you've lost somewhere out in space. And that's Chapel's story that we mm-hmm. barely even get. You know, it, yeah. it has so many different connotations. But I feel like when we we throw around phrases like strong female character or strong lead, it's the only one people think about is kick-ass. 
Yeah. But like strong, really, what we should be saying is well developed, well rounded, yeah, right. yeah. deep. Exactly. Absolutely. And and I found too, like uh from early on as I, you know, was a big theater kid and whatnot, I, I always talk about I we did the sound of music in eighth grade and I got cast as the Baroness. I auditioned for Maria and got cast as the Baroness. And that was a really interesting turning point for me because I ended up loving playing that part, but she is more or less a villain, you know, not the worst villain, but she is a character that, um, you know, I started realizing, Oh, part of the gift that I have to give is that I can take a character like that and give her depth and let her be complex and let the audience have a window into why she makes the choices that she does, whether they're all perfect or not is, is not the question because perfection is impossible for men and women, but certainly with a character like Laurel, and I've just been lucky that I've been given the opportunity to play characters like her where a lot of her actions can be one thing and tying back into actually well done Mary but tying back into the Klingon culture something I noted so much in people's reaction to her journey was they were viewing her on a very human standard level that they were saying like well she shouldn't do that but she also has never been a part of the Federation or the human world and doesn't know that the, the types of um, systems that they have in place or moral codes that they have and has only learned, you know, about them through whatever Klingon history books they have about the Federation, which I'm sure are pretty biased. Um, if at all. And yeah, if at all. <laughs> That's a huge Star Trek issue as well, is the Federation judging other cultures by Federation standards. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's, that's something that really had always resonated with me. But then certainly I have a joke uh, with uh, David Benjamin Tomlinson, who now, he plays Linus in the second season, but he was a Klingon in the first season for a few episodes. And in the very first episode, we were so like, yeah, the Klingon culture, we had these great conversations in rehearsal about how, you know, we were this culture that just, we knew the Federation's in, um, a reputation of, of yeah the what did I what does Takuma say the universal homogenization and assimilation like we were so afraid of uh, that because we knew that it would lead to us being a different version if not a worse version in our eyes of our culture um, but we were so in that that then we, then you watch the show and we were like oh right this story is about the Federation not the Klingons <laughs> <laughs> like all these things which I mean obviously the 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 goal was to show both sides and to show that we were not exactly what the Federation thought we were and vice versa but it's still at the end of the day Star Trek ultimately does lead from a Federation perspective because um, it's what we identify with the most as humans. Um, but I, I, I do think that allowing, yeah, our female and male characters, obviously we get that more with male characters already, letting them be flawed or letting them make poor choices and and letting them have depth and vulnerability and the ability to make mistakes and then, you know, realize them and and try to make up for them, which I think was, as I mentioned before, the guilt that Laurel feels about so much of what she did to vote Tyler um, is a huge fueling point and isn't something that actually bogs her down as a character. It actually pushes her to be a better leader and a, a better ally. And I think that's one of my favorite qualities about her is that she doesn't uh, revert to cruel anger that she and Burnham are actually able 
to look each other in the eye and understand that their their heartbreak can actually bring about peace as opposed to more conflict. So that's a lot of different thoughts <laughs> that just came out of my mouth. Um, but but that's what goes along to having really well written characters mm-hmm. right, is to have room for these for these uh, thoughts, for these, the complexity of these emotions to, to take up space, to be fleshed out and to call on maybe just maybe there needs to be a Klingon centric show. Who knows? Who knows? Um, I I would not be upset. (laughs) I'm talking about vulnerability. One of my favorite things about Grilko is that you could see on her face that she was scared. There was fear there, but she was also determined to do what she had to do anyways. And I think that made her a lot more interesting than, you know, a male Klingon who was just too drunk to realize you need to be scared of anything. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. And Kozak, I thought was such a great example of where a lot of the men in the empire uh, ended up at this point in the timeline as well, that you, that there's a lot of drunken squandering of wealth and, you know, that they are not upholding true Klingon honor that it's that everyone's trying to um, define what honor is and are reaching for it, but often not succeeding <laughs> certainly on the male side and uh, Groka still, even though he was a mess, she still didn't get to um, just take charge automatically. Yeah. I think she's one of the bravest Klingons we've seen because she was up against more than any of the rest of them. Mm-hmm. I agree to, uh, to your point. Cirilla, who was also strong, complex, all of those things, mm-hmm. her strength laid in playing by the rules of that system. Right? Yes. Because who was, because Martok was admittably, you know, as far as their, their society is concerned, probably, you know, a catch, right? For, for lack of a better term. But Martok knew that she was way out of his league. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's sweet that he he treated her as such because I, I felt like that probably smoothed over a whole lot of arguments in their house. But my point is, Sorella played by the rules of the system and was able to advance thoroughly. Yeah. By that, um, whereas Grilka was able to, like we like we've been saying, you know, hold on to herself, hold on to her integrity, but also challenging the boundaries that prevent her from fully realizing that integrity too, in the way that Laurel did, in the way that Kalar did. Like apparently just being a completely thorough John is a Klingon female trait. So I, I just it just boggles me that they are trusted with the responsibility of maintaining their household, maintaining their properties, maintaining, you know, their, their economic status, but they don't have any representation in the, in the spaces that decide what those things are. Like, what is, what is this taxation without representation? Um, mm-hmm. almost, um, yeah. And, so it just really, it begs to reason, like, it serves as a parallel, right? Like most things, Trek, whenever you have a yeah. domineering force that encompasses space for another domineering force, is there room for both domineering forces to be forceful and domineering without losing their own integrity? Um, I think yes, but in, in their example, apparently they're still working on it. Who knows? You know, when you think about the Dura sisters and, and Valkris, the characters who... Um, and I, I love the fact that you brought up Val Chris Mary. I was like, okay. So like, she's done homework. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Also a fun, uh, uh, like a trivia fact is that Laurel's name originally was Val Chris, but with a Y. And then they, um, they changed it. That, like when the first script that I 
got my character's name was Valkris. Wow. Um, as an homage to Valkris. So that was my how I first got to to know her. Um, but they ended up, I think they thought it was just too much of a parallel that would just then be confusing. But anyway. <laughs> Did we just get a memory alpha citation? Yeah. Oh! <laughs> Ew. I love it. Another thing that um, really struck me about Grilka and Sorella was that the way Worf and Martok looked at them as though they're bold, they're magnificent, they're these wonderful archetypes of Klingon women. Um, Worf and Martok probably felt like they were doing a really good thing, but at the same time, it really limited them. So Sorella would never have any power outside of her house mm-hmm. if she played the good Klingon wife, which she enjoys as a lifestyle. But because Grilka stepped outside of it, she has real power. Yeah. Can I just, though, real quick with Worf and, like, the ladies he's into, right? We've got we've got Laurel. And that, I'm sorry. Wow. We've got <laughs> Kalar and Grilka and Jadzia, who, who are all, like, the same kind of type, mm-hmm. really. But then you've also got Troy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I think it's just, it's really interesting to me, because if you look at, like, what attracts wharf to someone it seems like he is seeing that strength in troy that a lot of people don't Mm. see fans Mm. and in universe Mm -hmm. and like i think that you can say what you want about whether like that was a good idea or bad idea for that relationship because they were (laughs) clearly building up to the conflict in the finale of next gen but like it's i think it's worth thinking about like what is it about deanna that is drawing Worf in when we're used to seeing him being attracted to, to warrior women, quote unquote. Right. So my theory about that is that Diana was not only a, a, t- a crew member, right? So he respected her professionally and, you know, in terms of the fleet. Um, but I also think because she bonded with Alexander so well mm. and he recognized the bond that they had, I think he respects her first and foremost emotionally. Um, and I feel like Worf has, and I'm sure she, within her counselor status, definitely provided him the space to be vulnerable if he were to ever feel the need to show that. But I feel like Diana, Diana, sorry, I just got finished watching Wonder Woman. Diana. <laughs> love it. Oh um, my gosh, everything about you. I love it. Oh my God, Mary, stop it! I will move in! Um, I think what he, what he saw most about Deanna and, and why their relationship, as cute as it was, was never going to be long-lived, was the fact that she provided for him that softness emotionally that he never thought to seek from anybody mm. else because he typically liked warrior women. Diana, I mean, Deanna was kind of like, you know, that's cute and all, but you could put your bat left down over here uh-huh. and just have a seat if you need to. And I think it reminded him of his mother, his adopted mother. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure having a human mom showed him a level of softness, a level of sensitivity that he would never have gotten anywhere else. So I, I'm pretty sure that, like, it was like a mommy thing. Like, oh, look, it's mom. She's, I'm safe here. I'm comfortable here. But we all knew that that wasn't going to work because, <laughs> because Worf, yeah. right? Because Worf likes unobtainable, strong, powerful women. Yeah. And interesting to note that Grilka is the only full Klingon woman that, mm. you know, Kalar is, is half and Dax is Dax. <laughs> and, right. and like, I, while they do, I do, yes, agree that those, those three women archetypally definitely fit that 
that strong energy and intelligence and all that um, in a more typical way. Um, it always, that was part of why I gravitated towards Grilka overall was I, I, I just find it interesting looking at the difference between the full Klingon women and partially Klingon women, like throughout the storytelling and how they are portrayed similarly and differently. Um, and obviously that I think duality is a huge, you know, uh, um, overarching theme in all of Trek. And you see that. Well, especially discovery season one. Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. That was definitely mirror. <laughs> mirror was the theme <laughs> uh, among many, but yeah, I think that y- you can look at any character. Like it's some, it's more clear with a, a character like Spock. Uh, but then obviously like we're saying with Worf that he's, a Klingon raised by humans or, you know, I mean, it just, the list goes on and on. Um, and as we were talking about with Laurel as well, coming from two different houses, like, I think that's something that as humans, we grapple with in various ways, again, sometimes more clearly to us in our upbringing, but then I think like inner conflict, um, about who we are based off of how we feel as individuals and then how society views us is just, um, something that we all deal with in different ways. And I think the more, this is now me just getting philosophical, but I, I think no, that- No, go. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> the more that as humans, we recognize um, uh, our own journeys, the more we will be able to recognize the journeys of others and be empathetic towards them and be, you know, the, the only way we're going to improve our society is by looking outward, but you can't fully look outward if you haven't taken the time to look inward. Um, you know, and I, I hope that, you know, it's, 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 it's obviously a huge, uh, struggle for anyone because we, again, we are individuals within a, within a, within a society, um, as as is clear with someone like Laurel, who has a very specific way of being and journey. I liked that she was not a typical Klingon in, in many ways, but she still exists within, within this world and has been defined by it. So um, it takes, I, I always say, I do feel that she is a true leader because it takes that sort of individual who can recognize their own struggles and, and, and be able to look. And one, what I, I think I might've mentioned this also on the last woman at work when I was talking about Laurel, but a line that was unfortunately cut between Burnham and Laurel when she gave me the detonator was George O's like why would you give this to your enemy and um Burnham says today she is not my enemy and then um after Tyler speaks to me and can, that's when I say but I am no one and then Tyler's like no you can do it and I'm like oh and <laughs> uh, he's been, when he speaks to me in Klingon I'm like oh Vogue's not completely gone shit uh, <laughs> but um but then then I then said back to her in Klingon today you are not my you are not my enemy and the I think that that's there energetically between the two of us. Certainly the way in which Sonequa and I um, adore and respect each other. <laughs> we were pushing for it. That was for sure. Um, but I felt that, you know, symbolically that to me was a very Trek moment um, in what the potential of like, you know what, today I'm going to see this um, person, this entity, this other as this, as the same or as well, I keep thinking about the Roddenberry quote. It's been circulating a lot recently of delighting in differences. 
and to me delighting celebrating that it's not about saying that we're all the same neutral whatever how boring would that be and to your point about writers rooms and you know making sure the producers like we need to have a fully diverse group of humans coming together otherwise we are our stories are never going to be as good as they could be if we don't allow for true inclusion of all voices and all perspectives we are just not going to uh we're just not going to get as much interesting interesting storytelling it, it's just it's you know if we keep telling the same hero's journey over and over again it will be fun and entertaining and even if we I really have become impassioned about the representation behind the scenes because you can put a bunch of people on screen, but if it's still a bunch of cis white straight males telling the story, you're still going to get Yawn. their version of it. <laughs> Oh my God. Just, just, just the mention of that. I was like, oh God, again. I, I have become so very particular about the media that I consume, right? Growing up on Star mm-hmm. Trek, being a fan of it like all of us here, showed me what, you know, representative media looks like. Um, so my standard for that is, is going to be different than, than most folks because I just can't. Like, I cannot. If I don't see either myself or people who don't look like me represented in the product, then it's not for me, mm-hmm. like, in any capacity. And, and me uh, paying patronage, giving it money, paying it attention is not going to be to be beneficial to me or, or anybody else, realistically. Absolutely. Right? So representation absolutely 110% matters. And bringing it back to a point that you made earlier, Mary, about Grilka being the only one that Worf loved that was Klingon, um, the fact that we have full-blown Klingon women now mm-hmm. you know, being visible, right? Because between Kalar and Belana, really the, the most range we would see from Klingon women were the Klingon women who were half. And it's like, almost like they had to be watered down to be palatable, to be listened to. Mm-hmm. And I, that's why I thought Laurel was so very powerful, just imagery-wise. Um, Gorilka was powerful. Sorella was powerful. Um, because these were women who had not been... Who, whose, whose Klingon-ness was undiluted, right? It was just... They were just full-blown. And that's not to pull, like, a blood quantum thing into it, but I bring it into it because as Worf, growing up of, of, of a different world, right? Because he had adoptive parents who didn't look like him. And uh, all of my theories behind why the House of Moog was systemically pushed out of the High Council, because <clears throat> they were black. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I feel like Worf probably felt pressured to like Kalar because she's the only other Klingon mm. on this world that looks like me. Yeah, she's feisty and kind of cute. Well, she's really cute, but she doesn't adhere to anything that we don't have anything in common except for the fact that we look like each other. Well, you bring up Bolana too, but the I think the thing to note about the the two half Klingon women that we've seen is that they both resent their Klingon sides. Right. Mm. Like right? As Bolana especially. Like Kayla's yeah. just like I'm not into this this BS. <laughs> I'm going to do my own thing, but Bolana like anything she doesn't like about herself she attributes to the part of her that is Klingon. Right. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's self-hatred in a way. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. self-hatred. They, they grew up in societies that told them that an element of themselves was not good enough because of some BS, you know, superficial reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but in particularly when it comes to Worf, like, yeah, he loved Kalark just, I feel like almost cause she looked like him and cause he didn't have anybody else. Um, and seeing Grilka, 
show him, she like, also, wow, go ahead. Sorry, she also didn't see him as less than because she didn't care about what the Klingon said. Right. So, mm. like, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't an untouchable to her because she didn't care about their honor. Right. And proving to himself that he could get Groka, I feel like Worf also figured, hey, I can prove this to the council, too. And then was violently reminded, like, no, you made this decision. Like, mm-hmm. sit down somewhere. <laughs> so it, it can be that parallel can be drawn to somebody who, you know, comes from a background religiously, ethnically, culturally, that doesn't match the environment that they're in, having to learn all of the methods that enable you to navigate those spaces safely. And then when you're suddenly met with another representative of your culture, you're like, oh, snap, we should be friends. Should we be friends? Is me being friends with you reflective of us as a culture or us as individuals? Will they start to separate us if we start getting, you know, too chummy chummy? Are you yeah. going to be infringing upon my space? Because it worked me. It, I worked so hard to get here. So it, it, it brings up other elements there that... I feel like our parallels for, for everyday life too. I know Worf was like, wow, she bad, but she's for real, you know? And, totally. and Dax, I think was his resistance, his resistance, yep. his reluctant resistance <laughs> to Dax was, even though she had so many elements of the culture that he loved, um, she still wasn't Klingon. And, and that continued to F with him until she smacked some sense into him, I guess. Um, yeah, but I just think it's interesting how there are so many elements of the patriarchy, both in human life and in, in Klingon life, that prevent people's potentials from being fully realized. One thing that that's bringing up for me, and as well, is it even tying back to like Day of the Dove, which is really illuminating the way propaganda makes us think we know a culture that is not ours, and. And I think that, yeah, Worf is, is a, if not, yeah, the greatest example of if he has an idea of what his heritage is. I mean, just everything that you were saying, it's just kind of all, all coming together in my mind. But the way in which we can have an idea of where we come from or what our background is based off of the current society we're in. Um, and it's it's a way of, you know, so much of Worf's journey is reclaiming that Klingon self and it's it's a it's a constant struggle for him in a lot of different ways and I just you know we get to see that so much with him because he is in so many episodes <laughs> and uh there are just like a lot of moments um where that that happens but I I think that's a, a another really interesting theme of what our yeah preconceived notions are of other other cultures and places or species in this case, um, based off of yeah. what, yeah, the literature we've read or the education we've had or the history that has been written or not written. And then the re- actual reality of who they are. Powerful stuff, yo. So I think it is time to ask, uh, if there are final thoughts from the group. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to the costume designer who gave all the Klingon women. We saw such different costumes that, reflected their personalities yes because like sorella just looked like a queen just just jewel tones jewel just emeralds and amethysts and rubies just glorious yeah and then you had grilka who was wearing the full-length klingon gown but she was still clearly there to do business Mm -hmm. you know i i just thought they did a great job of showing their personalities through the costumes yeah totally 
I love that that just that when she hands Quark, this is just the quote, but when she gives him the the whatever the shawl, not a shawl, but <laughs> thing to wear, and he's like, um, she's like, put this on. He's like, why? And she's like, because if you don't, I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I just her delivery on it, everything was just beautiful. <laughs> All right. I think we're at the point where we have to wrap up for today as much as I think we would all like to keep going. Mary, is there anything that you're like, you want to promote or to, or tell people that you're up to at this point? Oh uh, yeah. Well, I will. Um, um, I'm glad they came up because I am, I don't know to what extent, but I will be a part of the virtual track con as well. So I, I can't tell you in what capacity or where, but, I, if you're looking on that stuff, I'll, I'll be a part of that. But I'm trying to think of actually any, anything else coming up. Most, most of what I've been uh, working on is kind of still just percolating creative projects that will hopefully come to fruition at some point. Um, but I am trying to, you know, say yes to as many, you know, panels as possible and, and just be able to be present with everyone uh, online because that's what we have right now. But yeah, I would. And in case anyone listening is not following you. <laughs> yes. I am Mary the Chief on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Kennedy, where can people find you on the internet? Wow. Well, um, for now, you can still find me on Black Tribbles. Uh, you can find us on our YouTube page. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, all that fun stuff. Get into the Tribbly goodness. Um, you can also find me personally at that Mikey chick um, on IG and Twitter. That's Mikey with no C. Um, forewarning, I am hella woke, so there's going to be a lot of activist stuff on my page. You're welcome! Very good. <laughs> and Sarah? Best way to reach me is through my fanzine, Star Trek Quarterly, which you can find on Facebook. Um, it's by Trekkies, for Trekkies, and I'm always accepting submissions. to just to just send me something that shows your love of Star Trek. And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. Uh, to learn more about our show or contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also shoot us an email at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for joining us.